Hey folks, my name is Lana Winterhalt and you are now part of the Good and Plenty Producers Club. We're going to be talking to women, non-binary, and trans femme audio engineers and producers from across the country and get to know their creative process. Let's have some fun. Well, I am super excited to welcome onto the podcast today, Nim, who is a audio tech mixer. Uh, you do a lot of different things. You play your own music. You play in a band. I'm super excited to have you chatting with us today. I'm super excited to uh, be here too. Well, why don't we just, I, I feel like this conversation is going to be fun because we don't actually know each other super well and mm-hmm. so we feel like there's lots that we can lots that we can chat about but um why don't you just start off you know giving us a little picture into what you do what what sort of things are you involved in yeah so my name is nim uh i live in hamilton ontario i use they them pronouns um yeah so i identify as like a non-binary femme person um yeah, so I do quite a few roles within the music industry. I do play um, in a few bands and do some session work as a musician. And I work as a live audio engineer and then do some mixing and tiny bit of mastering as well. Cool. And is the Hamilton scene kind of always where you've you've been? Or, or were you living somewhere else before that? Or has Hamilton always been the hub? It's the only place I've like... Uh, being involved within the music scene. So before that, I was living in Richmond Hill with my family, um, but I went to college in Hamilton. I moved here. It's been 10 years now. Oh, so, wow. Nice. Yeah, that's the only place I've really, like, you know, actually dug in. It's the only place I've lived besides, like, with my parents. So Gotcha. And mm-hmm. if you could describe the Hamilton music art scene in one phrase... Or sentence. How would you describe the Hamilton music scene? Uh, I mean, one word is small. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but maybe not in the way that you would think of it, like actually being a small scene. Hmm. But the fact that you know absolutely everybody right. within it, like it's a, it's like a small town music scene, um, which is really nice. Yeah, it's a type of thing where like, you know, you'll know people who are involved with different sides of the music industry that might not even be your like niche within it but because it's such a small scene um as far as like the community aspects um you just end up like knowing everyone which I think is very cool and creates some unique opportunities as well yeah totally I feel like I'm always so surprised at the incredible talent that comes out of Hamilton like you know it's a it is as you say like that kind of small town feeling where everyone knows everyone but there's like some incredible music that comes out of there totally also um I swear yours like a recording studio of some capacity like every two blocks I keep hearing about new different things yeah no um, way. There's like a couple major ones that everyone would know. Probably like Catherine North, uh, Threshold Studio is yeah. pretty well known. Um, but there's a whole bunch of like 
very DIY spaces. And some of them, like, aren't advertised and they're actually, like, some of the best studios I've been to. So Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of hidden gems. That's very cool. So, yeah, you, you talked about, obviously, a lot of roles that you... um you know, kind of work within in the music industry. Before we move on to, you know, actually talking about production and engineering mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, can you just tell us a little bit about the musical projects that you're involved in where you play, your your bands that you're involved totally. in or music that you're making? Yeah, so my main project uh, is a band called Basement Revolver. So I'm like an original member of that. Which is so freaking sick, by the way. <laughs> I love the new album. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I play bass and synth in that band. We just released our second full-length album. Um, yeah, so that's sort of like my main like passion project. I'm involved with writing, and we um, are like starting to tour a little bit, starting to play shows again, which is really exciting. So that's definitely the main musical project. I also do a little bit of... Um, like electronic music, most of that is improvised based. Cool. And that kind of ties into like the nerdy side. Like, because I'm a musician and I'm audio, also an audio tech, digging into synths is kind of like the logical like yeah. way to merge both of those things. And I always explain it like I'm a synth player in like the nerdy way, not like. Like, I'm not really playing keyboard licks. Yeah, right. right? Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. sound creating, yeah. right? I view it the same way of, like, when I'm mixing a song, I'm thinking mm. about the tones and the frequencies, like, things like decay and attack, right? That's a setting on reverb, and then that's a setting on your synth as well, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, and I also play in a hardcore band called Blue. Cool. Uh, so it's super fun. And then... I often try and sneak my way onto recordings that I do whenever it's like a singer songwriter. I'm like, hey, I have an upright bass in the corner. Uh, if you want me to throw that on a track, uh, recently got back into playing clarinet. So awesome. I actually put that on some recordings recently, which surprised me. But yeah, it's That's always amazing. fun to uh, get involved like musically on the projects that I'm engineering as well. For sure. I feel like it's it's there's also a really cool, you know, shift towards all of us like band nerds from middle school or high school get to like bring back our instruments, you know, clarinet or my partner's a trumpeteer, you know, like okay, we get to, cool. <laughs> like music. These instruments are finding their way back into uh, popular music, which is so fun. Well, it's really funny because like clarinet was my first introduction into music in general. So I played that, started playing that when I was seven, took lessons, and obviously that's way more like classically based and like band music. And then I did play all through high school. Like I was a huge band nerd. Yeah. Like I was in like concert band, jazz band, jazz ensemble, the pit band, all, you know, every single music club I could do, I was in. Um, But I picked up bass because I was like, mostly listening to rock based music like I was listening to a lot of punk a lot of hardcore and I was like well you can't play that on clarinet so (laughs) that's when I uh started playing bass and that's I actually studied that um 
in college. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of the one of the like things I think is interesting about my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, is I spent most of my high school life thinking I was going to go into audio production and go to school for that. Hmm. Then last minute, I decided to go to school for music performance, which is what I did. And now I work in music production. <laughs> it came full circle. But I like to think if I went to school for that, then I probably wouldn't be doing it as much. Like I think studying something else actually gave me the freedom. Hmm to do it for work and then it also complements it i mean i actually i was like working sound um for like a customer group last Mm. night so they had like accordion and oboe cello and violin and like a lot of sound engineers and stuff would be maybe intimidated by those types of instruments because they've never worked with them before but i'm like oh yeah i play a wind instrument i totally know like how to mic an oboe and that you shouldn't use one mic because the sound is coming from multiple points of the instrument. Yeah. Um, And I know that as like, you know, like a concert band nerd. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. So it it definitely helps out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you said that when you were in high school, you you had thought that you were going to go to school for audio production. So did you kind of start your... um, you know, your your intro into audio production than yourself as a high school student? Or where did that um, interest kind of weave its way in for you? Yeah, so I've always been kind of a, like, I don't know, I guess I've gravitated towards techie things in mm. general. Um, I think that's just part of how my brain works. Uh, both my parents went to school for, like, computer programming. Um, so it's kind of the more, like, creative side of that I view although both my parents are very creative as well my dad plays cello which is Mm. kind of how I got into music in general and my mom's a visual artist cool so I've been super fortunate they've been like really um encouraging on my journey with creative work that's amazing um but yeah actually my first introduction into the tech side of things was doing sound at church so I always did that and then tech crew stuff and school um so that was kind of like a taste of it and I also took like a summer camp thing nice like an audio like it was really cool actually somebody had a local studio um in my like little town Oak Ridges Mm. and it was meant to be the type of thing that like multiple people could sign up for but I was the only one who signed up that week (laughs) so I kind of had like a private week like a one-on-one like a 15 year old in like a studio which was pretty sweet wow that's actually very cool yeah okay I'm I have so many questions (laughs) did you like when you were first starting kind of um you know dabbling around were you also like writing songs at the same time like were you a a musician and kind of like you know writing your own songs and and demoing anything at home yourself or like how how did your musicianship weave into that yeah, it definitely um, went coincide a bit. I wrote a tiny bit, which I'm actually trying to get back into. I don't really sing, um, so that's like a barrier. Although it's one of those things where I think I could sing, I just don't have a ton of confidence mm, in yeah. it. So I used to like write songs, you know, on like ukulele and guitar, 
and make YouTube videos. So I did the whole like multicam thing where I'd like, you know, play a guitar part and sing and play bass. Um, so that was kind of like the earliest um, introduction to me like recording stuff. And I also actually put out um, an EP of instrumental songs that I recorded and mixed in high school as well. It was called the Times of the Day EP. And I had cool a song for like each section of the day. It was like a morning day and then it was like an afternoon tea song and like <laughs> a sleepy time song. Uh, yeah, so it was a very fun project. I occasionally were like, I think it's actually still on Bandcamp, which is funny. Um, I love that. I won't tell people how to find it. They can just <laughs> do some digging. Do some digging. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's not too bad. Like, I don't totally cringe when I listen to it. So yeah. yeah. Honestly, there's something so beautiful about listening to things that we created when we were young. It's like you can hear the sense of innocence or just pure creativity. You know, like totally. I wasn't all you know, perverted yet by the music industry and having a brand and marketing, blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, oh, it's just beautiful music. You know? Exactly. And then also, like, for my age, it was, like, really great work. Although, that being said, you've yeah. got all these, like, 16-year-old producers who are putting out radio hits. So it's know. That is very <laughs> true. But we didn't have, like, I don't know, like, I was... uh the first star I used was Cubase. So it's like working in that and like I didn't have any like MIDI instruments or knowledge of like plugins or any of that stuff. Right. right. So, yeah. And I definitely wasn't like looping or mm. like throwing in, you know, like drum beats or anything like that. So, right. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like now, like Ableton and uh, what's the, is it Fruit? Oh, Fruity Loops or FL Fruity Loops. Like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's, like, pretty accessible. Yeah, totally. Which is great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, even with GarageBand, you know, there's a lot that you can do with with the program that's just built into a Mac. Like, it's it's, Mm -hmm. it's actually pretty amazing for for people who have taken the time to, like, unlock the power of GarageBand. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty, a pretty uh, great program. Oh, totally. So, what DAW are you on now? What do you use primarily? Yeah, so I use Logic. So, oh, you do? Sweet, me uh, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, big sibling to GarageBand, I guess. I've, yeah, I've never been taught Pro Tools, and at this point, I'm like, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, maybe I will at some point. Um, I don't know. Logic makes sense to me. Like, I like the workflow of it aesthetically. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, easy to work with. Um. But really, I find it's like whatever you know, yeah, it's gonna work, yeah, best. Um, so I did some basic production courses, like I studied music performance, but mm-hmm. you could take electives in, like, intro to music technology and music production, and all of that was in Logic. So most of my like, um, more formal training, even if it was like super basic, was in logic so it just made sense to keep with that right so you yeah so you took some of those courses at school you obviously had Mm -hmm. your your formal formal training as in performance for for yeah your instrument 
yeah, I guess what was the journey like from that next step to I want to start mixing or producing or, um, you know, working with other people or, or mm-hmm. collaborating with others? What was that that process like for you? Well, I guess it's like always been a little bit of something that I've done, like even in high school, because I had like a tiny bit of a recording setup. Um, there was one friend who I recorded some of her songs. So I've always like kind of been that person, you know, within my friend group or scene of, oh, Nim knows how to record. Um, and that was a great skill to have studying music. And I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of musicians who are focusing more on the performance side than the tech side. So one of the um, elements where I was taking it a little more seriously was there is a, um, I know what to call it, like a series or like an opportunity called Jazzology, which is through Jazz FM, the like jazz uh, radio station in Toronto. So they pick a couple students to feature from all of the local like colleges and universities so they'll take people from like Humber, U of T, York and then Mohawk where I went so they would get to do an interview and then they would also get to showcase some of their music but the thing was that they had to which was kind of like it worked out for me but it was a funny thing because they had to record it all themselves and like fund it themselves which I'm like that's kind of a shitty thing yeah like (laughs) i don't know yeah it's like this is a cool opportunity but also it's not very accessible right yeah right yeah but with that being said i ended up recording a lot of those which Hmm. was a really cool opportunity yeah um yeah so i got to do that and then my mixes were like i've actually had a lot of mixes on this like jazz radio station in toronto which is pretty exciting and honestly like I think I'm almost way more surprised and impressed with myself when a mix I've done is on the radio compared to like my playing because I don't know I've got a lot of, like not in a too cocky way but I've got confidence in myself as a musician like yeah I know I can play bass I also know that my band is good because everyone else in my band is incredible like but then especially when it comes to like a song that you've mixed being on the radio, I'm like, well, the audio quality matters. Like that's like a huge thing. So yeah, I'm always kind of amazed. Yeah. Especially because like, I don't know, for me, I still kind of consider myself very much a baby engineer. Mm. It's not what I do full time. I didn't study it. So I know it's not the case, but I kind of feel, you know, like imposter syndrome. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And imposter syndrome is such a bitch because, you know, you no matter how how much you learn and keep growing and amazing things that you create, you know, there's so often can be this horrible little voice that's like, you know, oh, but you don't know this. Oh, but you don't know this. Or we do it to ourselves because we are constantly learning that it's like, oh, that mix that I did two months ago, I wish I could have done this and this and this. But we just didn't know it at the time, right? Or even just like a big thing for me is the equipment. I know I'm a gearhead in general. So like I care about that stuff a lot. And then I'm thinking, well, all of the stuff I've recorded is more on a DIY, you know, end of things. 
Um, and I'm happy with my setup. I think it sounds good. But, you know, I'm like, why would somebody come to me when they can go to, like, a properly treated studio where they've got all these great mics and, like, preamps and I'm, you know, I'm mixing all in the box. But. Yeah. Though I think that I, I totally hear you on that. And I think that it it um, also shows us the the beauty of, like, why a good person and a good producer or somebody who's, like, just has good natural talent really matters because you know like you're saying Mm -hmm. someone can go to those studios and get you know have all these options of mics or whatever but but it is important that there are you know these other producers or other spaces where it can be more tailored to the artist right because sometimes you go into these big commercial studios and it's like so impersonal nobody there is caring about you know, making sure that I am an, as an artist, am, am expressing myself through these, through the gear and equipment the best way that I can. Mm-hmm. So sometimes having that, like, yeah, sometimes it's too much. Yeah. And I found that when I'm going into a studio, um, some of the ones I've looked at online, which would maybe be considered like the best studios to go yeah. to, don't look appealing to me because they just don't look like comfortable right. spaces. Yeah. Um, where I really like the homey feel more totally. and like the most important thing is getting the performance yeah like yes you want to capture it well and get you know like all the frequencies that you want or the tones or whatever but if the artist isn't comfortable they're not going to perform and then at the end of the day that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to c- capture musical performance totally right so yeah yeah mm-hmm. too true um well i think that's a great segue into telling us a little bit about your setup or um yeah like do you primarily work out of a home studio or do you work out of another location or yeah just give us a little snapshot into your mm-hmm. your setup and where you work out of yeah so i do a few things i'm like always happy to do remote stuff um as far as like tracking my setup is fairly portable so if somebody has a space that works for them better or um I also do like a fair amount of like live off the floor type sessions so that lends itself to you know setting up in a church or a venue or um even outside I actually recorded a bluegrass band on like the edge of the escarpment in Hamilton which was very fun uh so I just like brought my zoom recorder out and it's crazy you can like hook up a condenser mic and run phantom power all off of like this battery unit and it sounded great that's awesome Mm -hmm. um but yeah i do have a bit of a space my band has um like a jam space at a rehearsal um like facility so we rent a room monthly all of our equipment is in there and i also have like my mixing desk in that space uh so yeah i've got the claret range of like focus right stuff which i really like i've got the like eight channel one with the uh adat like expansion so i've got 16 channels oh nice they're like preamps um and i don't use like any of our external stuff it's like i've got 16 of the exact same preamp which kind of works for the way that I mix because then I do everything um you know like I said in the box I use the mostly use like the slate digital bundle like their subscription Mm -hmm. um I find that stuff's like works for me and 
yeah, I've got a pair. I forget the model. I've got focal monitors, not mm. the best ones, like the, you know, the yeah. mid-range ones, but yeah. those are great. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like, you know, with with everyone I've talked to on every show, it seems like the general consensus and hopefully it means that we can throw pretension out the window at some point the thing that matters is find what works for you find what sounds good for you and how you're working right like there are and for the vibes you're trying to create like there are people making incredible sounding records or, or singles just with you know very entry level equipment because they've learned how to you know match those vibes with what they're going for you know they they make it dusty or they make it sound a little bit more homegrown or whatever and it fits perfectly right like there's there's so much that you can do what's a thing too that I've like realized about monitoring is at the end of a day as long as you know how you set up sounds that's fine if someone else comes in and they can't mix on it that doesn't really matter yeah uh, as <laughs> totally. long as you figured out a way to make it work for you um then yeah, that's great totally um well i'd love to hear a little snippet of something that you've worked on so we have um the heather valley song great violence so before we play a little clip of it can you just tell us um how did this project fall into your lap or, or how did you get involved with it yeah so heather valley is actually a co-worker of mine at the music venue i work at uh she's a bartender um, and then obviously a musician as well. So that's another like great way that I've kind of um, connected myself to the music industry is working live sound. Then I'm obviously meeting musicians a lot. They might be my coworkers or bands who have come through. Um, and that's often a lot of the people that I end up recording. Mm-hmm. So with this particular project, um, it's actually one that she recorded all of her parts herself she at the beginning I'm pretty sure so this was done at a farmhouse she like went up there at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was like completely locked down isolating from everyone she had access to this farmhouse and just went out and you know spent some time like writing working on some covers some solitude and recorded um a lot of the parts like herself and then she sent the tracks to some other friends um to do like slide and fiddle um and then I also played like bass and clarinet on this EP cool so yeah it was actually really fun to work on something um where like I hadn't heard all of the parts until I'm mixing it or maybe I'd heard like some of the parts and then some parts we added after. Um, but I didn't hear them while they're being tracked. I was like describing to someone over email right. the type <laughs> of vibe that we wanted, right? Yeah. Um But it's so cool you can do that now. Yeah. Right? Seriously. Like, really it makes almost no difference at all. Obviously just something magical about being in the studio with musicians, but sometimes it's not an option for many different reasons so yeah um yeah that's kind of the gist of it like all of it was recorded in various home studios and then 
eventually made it my way and I did the mix and cool. master. Sweet. That's amazing. Well, yes, we're going to listen to a clip of it now and then we'll uh, chat a little bit more about it. just listening to a clip of great violence uh from heather valley which nim you did the mixing and the mastering Mm -hmm. so can you just tell us a little bit more about um that song and you know kind of your creative process with mixing like when you listened to the tracks that came to you um what what stood out to you first or, or what, where do you kind of start with your creative process with, with starting on a song like this? Yeah. So I have worked with Heather before, um, on some previous recordings. So that has kind of helped. Like I already went in knowing, um, the type of sound that she wanted to go for. And I've also mixed her music live a bunch of times, which is another unique element to kind of add into things. Um, but yeah, I, and the unique thing about these tracks was the fact that it was recorded in different spaces. So that added some cool dynamics to it, but also some challenges of trying to actually blend the sound, especially since talking to Heather, um, she did very much want that raw sound to come across still. She didn't want it just to be like totally cleaned up. And I think at one point I had done a bit more like noise reduction and added like a bit more reverb and stuff and then we decided to pull it back mm. um and it sounded good but you know it just wasn't the right vibe right so cool no mm-hmm. that's I, I think that would be super cool to also have that insight from mixing her her live to see you know you have that extra insight of totally like, yeah how does she perform what is her you know, how does she come across on stage? How does she... And then I guess also being friends with her. Like, yeah, I just know right. her personality. Totally. Like her, yeah. And um, these songs, actually, we did, like, the first round of mixing. And then Heather came into my mixing space with me. Um, and we went over some of the mix notes together, which was really nice. Just to be able to, like... You know, she'd have a basic idea of how she wanted the reverb to sound. I'm like, cool, I'll give you options like A, B, and C. What do you like? These are the different things that I can do. Um, And that's like, I really like doing that at that point in the stage Mm. of mixing. It stresses me out bringing people in too early because I'm in total experimental mode. I'm like, I'm going to make a whole bunch of changes that won't sound good and will probably freak you out. But... At that point, we knew it was like 90% there. We were just kind of polishing it up. Right. So at that point, it's great. 
um, and can be fun to like have the artist in with you. Totally. Sweet. Well, I I love these tracks from Heather Valley, and I've been listening to this uh, EP already on repeat. So I Great. thank you for introducing <laughs> introducing mm-hmm. me to them. Um, but we are we're kind of heading into the last chunk of our our conversation here, um, and I do really want to chat with you about um, what your own experience has been like in the audio and production world. Um, as a non-binary person, as someone who um, is genderqueer. And I wonder if you would chat about that a little bit and what that experience has been like for you. Yeah, totally. Um, it's definitely something I reflect on a lot. And it's kind of an interesting perspective uh, and a big thing to like reflect on for myself because I feel like I've grown up with a lot of privilege in many ways I mean I think also um I've had a lot of financial privilege my parents uh like paid for my schooling and you know bought some of my instruments and some of my equipment so I've gotten a lot of support that way which I know like a lot of people don't have and then starting off in the industry I was you know presenting as a cis male Mm. um which you know, has all sorts of its own privilege. So it's interesting, like, kind of transitioning out of that, but not really being sure how people view me is kind of the biggest thing. Um, hmm. I feel like I think about it a lot more in a live setting, just because I'm interacting with people more. And I guess at this point, when I'm mixing and recording people, it's folks I already know pretty well. So I don't really have the same like anxieties or fears, but working live sound, I have no clue, you know, who some new musicians are, what their stances on things are like. So like, I mean, a lot of the time I kind of like mask a lot in that setting. Mm. So I will present like way more neutral. Um, And I don't always introduce myself with my pronouns. It feels safer to do that sometimes. Hmm. Um, Still deciding, you know, how I feel about that, though. Because that's, like, also a shitty thing to do. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, I'm, like, and I've got, like, dyed hair. And I most of the time have nail polish on. So I feel like I do come off as very visibly queer at least Mm. um and more femme presenting so yeah I definitely have that like thought in my head of you know is someone gonna judge me for that or like treat me differently or um yeah it's definitely a weird thing and I guess like it's everyone has their own unique experience with how Mm. they're perceived with gender um but I do always like to acknowledge that my experiences may be different than someone who is like AFAB and presents as female. Um, yeah, because there's just like different elements in our journey. Totally. Yeah. You know, I think it's really beautiful and authentic for you to even be, you know, willing to chat about the the sort of weird in between feelings of how should I feel about this? How should mm-hmm. I, you know, what where should my thoughts land on this so I appreciate you you sharing that in general Mm -hmm. and then also playing as a musician and I feel like just that nerve of like I 
often perform in a dress um, and have like a lot of makeup on. So I'm like, okay, what is the sound engineer going to think? What is the door person or bartender? Like, how are they going to treat me? Um, And then when I'm working, even if I'm presenting more mask or like, and then masking like my own identity, the awkward thing that comes up um, is we have like gender neutral bathrooms at my workplace which is amazing. I actually have like a very supportive boss and I suggested that to him and there's zero hesitation. He's like, cool. I just didn't even think about that as an option. Um, But as soon as it was presented to him, you know, he was down, which is great. But yeah, as a sound tech, I'm like there early. I'm in the room with all of your musicians and like you just hear those. Oh, what does it that mean? All gender bathrooms or whatever. Them just talking to themselves. Right. But then you like overhear those conversations um, or even just the way they talk about like their girlfriends mm-hmm. or like various things or the subject matter of people's songs. I'm like, you know, you just get those weird, like icky feelings. And then. Yeah. 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 I well, that's a, that's amazing to hear that you have a supportive boss. You know, <laughs> that's a, that's totally. awesome. Mm. And, and that you are able to advocate for those changes and see those changes. That's incredible. Um Yeah. Because I also, I'm a big thing, sorry, yeah, it's just wanting to make it a safe space for, like, other people to come into. And I know that those things make a massive difference just for, like, knowing that you're accepted. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The smallest things of, like, oh, somebody thought about me, thought about my experience, and anticipated my arrival. You know? <laughs> somebody was preparing mm-hmm. a space for me to yeah. come. Like, that's that's so incredible and inviting. Um and kind of with that note, I wonder, you know, obviously there's there's um, the side that we need to talk about that's, you know, the the discrimination or the potential like unsafe or, or kind of uncomfortable um, uh, spaces. But I wonder if we can kind of flip the conversation as well and chat about like how does your gender queerness influence your music making or your production in a way that is um you know unique and beautiful and so you like I think it's I think that it's so incredible to have um Mm -hmm. you know producers and engineers who are who have these diverse experiences and yeah I wonder if you've reflected much on on um what your how your gender queerness um influences your art yeah I and I think a big part um, especially like as an engineer, um, it's creating that safe space hmm. for other people and kind of creating the environment that I would want for myself. So I see that as like a really positive thing, especially with seeing way more like female female identifying people mm-hmm. and non-binary people and people of color working in spaces is the more of that we have um is this going to be a safer more comfortable opportunity for people mm-hmm. um another thing that i'm very intentional about is i do a lot of my work at a sliding scale mm. so because i just like am aware of the financial barrier totally and that's like only one barrier that yeah. people have as yeah. far as like putting their music out so you know i just don't want to add to to that stress of someone releasing their art yeah right um yeah so I love the idea of being able to provide a you know a safer space for 
other people who look like me mm-hmm. or just feel more comfortable with someone like me um you know as like a recording opportunity because yeah talking to so many friends like the whole industry is dominated by white cis straight men and like I can imagine especially if maybe your song is about trauma from those types of people and then if that's cues behind the board like that's a pretty awkward situation for sure so yeah yeah no that's a great point Mm -hmm. um as we wrap up I wonder if you would just be able to um give some encouragement uh for those who are just starting out in their production or engineering journey those who are are just beginning and trying to see you know is this a world that I can fit is this a world that I can can work um what would your encouragement be to those folks to the question of like am I able to do it? Is this something for me? Absolutely, yes. I think like everyone um, is capable of working in this industry. I would say like surround yourself with people who are like encouraging to you or inspiring. A big thing I talk about as like a self-encouragement thing in general is like uh tailoring your feed so on Instagram like follow other people who are doing what you want to do and people who look like you and that's like a constant way to get um validation mm. in your journey yeah oh that's a great mm-hmm. point oh yeah that's a huge thing I'm especially for like body image stuff I'm like I follow a lot of like trans femme people hmm. and a lot of brown people because mm-hmm. like they look like me and that you know feels a lot better than just scrolling through and seeing like a whole lot of like you know the same white hairless bodies yeah right mm -hmm. no that's that's a super helpful point and I think um you know obviously one of the reasons I do this pod as well is to is to show that there are people that that look like you that are are working in the field and they are finding you know spaces that are are awesome for them and making incredible music so um Nim, I am so thankful that you were here to chat today and that we got to get to know each other a little bit. Um, is there anything you want to plug before we jump off the, the mm-hmm. call here? People can follow most of like where I post about things is on Instagram. So yeah. my Instagram is Nim and I am and then dot uh, Aglawatta. So A-G-A-L-A-W-A-T-T-E. Awesome. Um, Yeah. Sweet. Great. Well, thanks so much for being here, Nim. And uh, can't wait to follow your journey and see what other things you get up to this year. Thanks. And we are going to end this episode the same way that we are going to end every episode of the Good and Plenty Producers Club, which is by saying your art is important. Your music is important. Your poetry is important. The way that you see the world matters and deserves to be heard and valued and respected. And for as many jerks as there are in this world and in the recording industry, there are also a ton of incredible people who want to encourage you and push you forward and help you grow. So find those people. You're welcome here. This is a safe space. I love you and stay well out there. (laughs) 